hello and welcome to episode number 245. Wow. Dude. Of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell with Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today is Debbie Maycomber. You might have heard of her. She's a New York Times bestselling author. She is incredibly prolific, has a very deep and wide backlist of many subtly different books, and she has a lot to say about her writing career. Um, I learned a lot of things in this interview. I thought it was really interesting. We talk about how she's adapted her writing to accommodate her dyslexia. We talk about the start of her writing career and what her writing experience has taught her and other writers. We talk about her blessings box, her recipes, her readership, and how knitting and romance go so well together. And of course, we talk about not only what she's reading, but what she's knitting and her newest book, if not for you. I will, of course, have links to all of the books that we talk about in this episode and links to some of the things that we discuss as well. Now, a couple of things. First, if you have not had a look at the podcast Patreon, I would invite you to do so. Patreon.com slash smartbitches for as little as $1 a month. You can help support the show and help me do cool things like buy nifty equipment so I can do a live show eee! on the day that you are listening to this episode. This episode is going to come out on May the 5th. I will be recording a live show at Romantic Times. I hope that it records and that the equipment does what it's supposed to do. Actually, you know what? The equipment's perfect. I have to make sure that I do it right to record the show and release it as soon as I possibly can after it's recorded. So if you're listening to this, wish me luck. May the tech angels smile upon me. And if you are a Patreon member who has supported the show, thank you for making this possible. I am deeply, deeply grateful. I have a sponsor for this episode as well. Today's sponsor is Audible. And I have three reasons for you to think about signing up for Audible if you have not already done so. First is audiobooks. They have an unmatched selection of audiobooks. I have heard. You want recommendations? I will give you some in just a moment. Number two, they have original programming. They're channels. And one of them is authorized sex and romance. If you listen to my podcast with Faith Saley, you learned about that. The specific episode with Sophie Kinsella is brilliant, especially Kinsella's analysis of the terminology used to describe her books. But uh, you want to listen to the whole season because Authorized is brilliant. And then the first season is equally good. I really enjoyed them. Number three, car trips. If you're going somewhere and you have people in the car with you who are young, books for the whole family to listen to have made many nine-hour drives in my life a lot more awesome. We've listened to Harry Potter. We've listened to Rick Riordan. We've listened to the Alvin Ho series. Now, obviously, I have younger children, but if you've got a series that's going to work for everyone, it's really fun to listen to a book together because we suddenly have a lot to talk about every time you stop to pee. Now, recommendations. You can get a free audiobook if you sign up for a 30-day trial at audible.com slash smart podcast. That would be this podcast right here, audible.com slash smart podcast. Now, I'll tell you a little thing. If you're at all interested in Audible and you use that URL, you're not only saying that, like, hey, Audible, this sounds really rad. Let's totally do this free book thing. But you're also showing them that advertising on podcasts like mine works. So if you use that URL, double, triple chocolate dip thank yous, because that would be awesome. So audible.com slash smart podcast is the URL to get yourself a free audiobook with a 30-day trial. And, of course, recommendations I promised I would give them. Ear Candy. Laura Kinsale's books performed by Nicholas Bolton are unreal such ear candy and if you like classical ear candy rosamund pike who played jane in the kira knightley version of pride and prejudice and also played the girl in gone girl she reads pride and prejudice and it is delicious the crows series call of crows by shelly laurenston is read by joanna parker and matt and my dogs were super exhausted because i didn't stop walking because i wanted to keep listening 
And finally, Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase, performed by Kate Redding, is brilliant. So there's a historical, a historical, a classic, and a contemporary paranormal. I cannot recommend those books more enthusiastically because they're great. So audible.com slash smart podcast. And thank you to Audible for sponsoring the show. I will have information about all the books and all the music and everything you're listening to at the end of the show. But now it's time to do our interview on with the podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Debbie Maycomber. Yay. It's so lovely to talk to you. <laughs> Thanks. So my first question is unfortunately a bit mathematical. Do you know how many books you've written? Actually, no, I don't. <laughs> and the, the simple reason is that so many of the books that I wrote back in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s are now being put out uh, with uh, what they call volume jumbo packs with two books or even three and given different covers and different titles. And so, um, you know, it's I have a I think there's like 300 different titles on my shelf right now, but a lot of them are just reissues. So I am um, on a whim. I asked Google because my phone um, downloaded a new update and now I have Google Assistant and Google Assistant wants to tell me everything. So I asked it, Google, how many books has Debbie Maycomber written? And it responded, at least seven. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I really think that number is too low because when I was doing yes. my research, I had to scroll through some very long biography pages with very long book lists. So I think Google needs to update <laughs> Yes, I think that was 1989. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so one thing I learned when I was doing my homework, um, I did not realize that you have dyslexia. Yes, I did not learn to read until I was in the fifth grade, and I was always at the bottom of my class. I, I feel fortunate to have graduated from high school. Wow. I, um, I did an interview with a reader who has both dyslexia and dysgraphia on the podcast recently, and she said something really that, that really touched me. She talked about how she's learned to read and write and be kind to her dyslexia and how she sees her coping mechanisms as being kind to it, which I thought was just a lovely way to think about that. How do you write with your dyslexia? How are you kind to the, the dyslexia that you have? Well, I've come to think of it as a gift that I have the gift of dyslexia because of that because of my brain doesn't function the way a normal person's does when it comes to reading and writing and spelling I'm a creative speller <laughs> is is that I have been given the gift of creativity I am a storyteller and I would not be a storyteller if it wasn't for the fact that I am dyslexic and I and I look back at my dad and my grandfather and they both were too and both of my boys too it's almost it's it's more common for boys to get it than girls, but I'm the one that got it in our family. And, you know, uh, I love what the reader said about being kind. You have to be kind and patient with yourself. Yeah, and I find that especially when I'm writing because, I, like I said, I'm just a terrible speller. Foreign languages are, they're very difficult for me. Even unusual words or names are difficult for me and I transpose there are certain words in my mind that I know how to spell them but like the word such s-u-c-h will come out j-u-s-t why I don't know and often when I'm 
writing, I will eliminate words. They're there in my mind, but they don't make it to the page. And uh, I had an assistant. She's retired now. She was with me 22 years. Renata swore that dyslexia was catchy because she would read them. <laughs> and she too would just insert the words in her mind because she knew I meant them to be there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So do you write on a computer or do you uh, dictate your books out loud? No, I actually write on a computer. I started off, if you can believe this, with a typewriter on my kitchen table that I moved at mealtimes. <laughs> That's how, you know, so I've been at this a long time. The, the thing that inspired me to, to contact you and ask if we could do an interview was your blessings box, which I received at the beginning of this year. And I was, first of all, I was so touched to receive one. Thank you. But what, what inspired you to create it? It's, it's really interesting. Well, years ago, I did a few of the um, uh, classes online and, or actually they were audio tapes with a number of speakers that spoke of the importance of creating a mission statement. And, you know, I had a whole list of things I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to make the New York Times list. I wanted to go on tour. I wanted to have audiobooks, all these different things. I wanted my books to be made into movies. These were important things to me, but that sounded so selfish. And so I, I struggled with this. And it was about six months later that I was reading in the Bible, and, and there is a, a, a part in Genesis, I think it's chapter 12, where God makes his covenant with Abraham, and he says, I will make you a blessing. And those words just like bolded on the page with me, because that's what I want. That's, that's what I really want for my books to be to my readers. Uh, I'm not going to uh, change the world. I'm not going to write the, the greatest novel in the world. I'm not going to start a civil war or change foreign policy or anything that other books have done. But I, I'm going to make um, the widow help her get through the night. I'm going to, the woman that's going through chemotherapy, she's going to be able to absorb her, or, you know, get lost in a story and forget that she has cancer. And that's what it means to me to be a blessing. And we just thought of creating a blessing box and sharing part of myself with my readers and the things that I love. It, it is really a beautiful box too. I, um, I think it's fascinating how romance readers often have so many interests in common. So many romance readers knit so many of us. I, we did a post on, on smart bitches this week about tea and tea for beginners. And like people came out of the woodwork from around the world to tell us all about how much they love tea. I had no idea tea was such a passion. But the idea of inspiration and knowing what books do for readers is another thing I think that people maybe outside the romance genre don't know how powerful the books that we read and the books that we write are. They do oh, so I much. Agree. They do. And I've, I've discovered that uh, romance readers in particular, they want to connect with the author. They want to feel like they are, they know me and know my books. And, uh, you know, they want me to share part of my life with them. And I don't think that's necessarily true in other genres. I honestly don't know 
But I do know that has increased with social media. It's not just writing a letter. You can connect with people constantly, all day, anytime you want now. And that expectation does come with being an author at this point. Yes. Uh, my daughter says that I was social media before there was social media. <laughs> Even in the 80s, I was doing a newsletter. And at Christmas time, I would send out recipes to share with the readers on my reader list. And I think I was probably one of the very first to have a reader's list, I know I was the very first author for Harlequin as Silhouette to put their mailing address in a book. Wow, I didn't realize that. So you've been receiving postal mail from readers for a very long time. I still do. And I read every single piece of mail that comes into the office. And Sarah, the, the readers have changed the course of my career about four different times just from the things that they have written me. Really? And I, I take it to heart. I really do. Um, I'll give you an example. Please. The Christmas book, my very first Christmas book was um, 100 pages. And it was uh, the size of a, of a paperback, but it was hardcover. And the reader's response was, love you, love the story, want more. Because it was only 100 pages. And uh, I took that to heart. Now, I was contracted for three Christmas books at that length. I went back to my publisher and I said, the readers want a bigger story. And from that point forward, um, I doubled the word length and they did give me a penny more. And uh, <laughs> those books continued to sell until they were my bestsellers. Wow. And what series was that? Was that uh, Shirley Goodness and Mercy? The it was before that. It was the, it was before them. It was before that. The first one was Can This Be Christmas, which was just a hundred pages. Wow. That point forward, I I just uh, up the word like I think I think oh I just admitted I think the next one was Surely Goodness and Mercy. And it was just a very short story, a hundred pages. Wow. I have to say that was one of my my questions for you that. My favorite of your characters are angels named Shirley Goodness and Mercy. Oh, like every thanks. time I see that, I start to laugh. I, you know, it was. I think I get my best ideas from scripture because that was came out of the twenty third Psalm, where it says, "You know, Shirley Goodness and Mercy will follow you for the days and, of your life." Yes, yes, and, and Mrs. Miracle came from Hebrews thirteen two that we entertain angels unaware. So I thought, ooh. You know, some people get their inspiration from reading the news or from reading celebrity magazines. And I have this image of you in church with a pen, like, okay, hang, hang on with that sermon. Just time out. Just plot bunny. Reverend, I'm going to let you go in a minute. But listen, just give me one second. I got to write this down. <laughs> Not quite, but you're close. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I loved about your blessing box was that you included pictures of your house which is both a really beautiful and intimate thing to do but you have a staircase of authors pictures of authors in your home well actually that's my office that's separate from my house so it oh, isn't really better yeah so that <laughs> yes i those are my mentors uh every time i walk up that stairwell and i ride in this so romantic a turret isn't that isn't that romantic no. and uh Every time I walk up those stairs, I am reminded of my responsibility as an author to create stories that are going to touch hearts, mm -hmm. that are going to create stories that are going to be a blessing to my readers. And these people are the books that I read as a kid. And, you know, their stories have lasted through the years that, you know, they still touch hearts. And that's what I, that's my goal as, as an author to, to touch hearts. 
and to have stories that'll stay in the reader's mind. You also talk about choosing words for yourself. Like the, clearly the word for this is blessing and you talk about joy and you're talking about not only receiving blessings, but, but giving blessings. Have you chosen a word for yourself every year or for the past few years? I think it's about 20, 30 years now that I've done that. And that started, it was kind of a fun thing that a group of us did. Um, I married as a teenager and was a stay-at-home mom when I became a writer. And um, I, when I started selling books, I, uh, unlike most writers who want to sell enough books and make enough income to quit their jobs and go home and write, I was just the opposite. I wanted to make enough money. I need to get out of there and have an office. So <laughs> with a turret. So I was I was having to make decisions, important decisions that were uncomfortable to me because I had so little business experience. So I created um, a group. I invited the most successful women in our small town here, the county assessor, the bank president, uh, a judge, um, you know, and and asked them all these questions that I had, and we had so much. Uh, uh, fun together that we decided to meet every week and we met every week for 20 years at 7 30 on Thursday morning and we had breakfast together and it was the group that decided to choose a word for the year each one of us would take a word for the year and uh, all of them have retired now I'm the only one still working <laughs> so um, but I have continued to do that to take a word for the year and the word this year is dreamer because I've always been a dreamer. I've always had stories going through my head. When, when I was a child in school, that was what the teachers accused me of. They said I daydreamed a lot. Well, I did because I was so completely lost in the classroom. I couldn't follow anything that I would just sit there and create stories in my mind and dream. And, but those dreams have carried me a long ways. Just recently, uh, we sold our house in Florida and I was cleaning out a drawer, and I found a, uh, I guess it's a recipe card, a colorful recipe card that I had made in 2003. And I had put down five things that at the time that I wrote this seemed totally out of my reach and impossible. I mean, you know how we do that. We dream big dreams. And when I saw that, I just kind of gasped because every single item on that list, except for one, has has come true. I have not got an Oscar yet. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, you can never accuse me of dreaming small. No. So. And besides, you've got time. You've got a turret. You can totally make that happen. Yes. So the word for this year is dreamer. And last oh. year's word was joy. That's really lovely. I, um, I am part of a Facebook group of people who are setting goals. It's a little similar to breakfast, except I don't have to put on shoes and, you know, go out into the world. <laughs> But good. this year, uh, many of the women in that group have not only chosen a word, but then uh, found someone who will make a three-dimensional word sculpture out of it, out of a colored acrylic, so you can have your words sitting on your desk with you. Oh, wow. What and a great idea. Isn't that brilliant? I was like, oh, that's very cool. My problem is I can't narrow it down to one word. <laughs> I need like nine. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to narrow it down to one some people do a phrase. Mine is it, probably, my phrase is probably be here now. Like, ah, don't worry good. about what's going to happen. Don't worry about what you already did. You can't change it anyway. Be here now because now is where the fun part is. Yes. That's exactly. probably mine. So with your, um, with your books, who 
introduced you to romance? I mean, the, um, I had been reading Harlequin romances, uh, the traditional romances, as a young married. And it was a friend who introduced them to me. And then I started reading Barbara Cartland and um, Janet Daly. And they were, uh, you know, the ones that really inspired me. And, and then I, you know, I was a voracious reader all along. Um, it was harder because we had four babies in five years. So I was, you know, really wrapped up in being a mom. And, a, uh, and when the kids started school was basically when I started to write. That's a lot of babies. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's a little, so that's a lot of small people. Like that's a zone defense pattern right there. That's, that's wow. And when they all start toddling, whoa, whoa. Oh my goodness. You know, I, I think I, I started reading romance novels because I was potty training them all and I needed something with a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are some dark days. My, uh, my, my children are nine and 11 and my 11 year old is finally losing his molars. He, he I swear the tooth fairy um, is making like regular deposits at our house. And I keep telling him, I'm like, do you understand the agony I went through when you grew those teeth the first time? Yeah. Do you understand what that cost me? And like, there's, there's nothing I get, like, there's nothing like that. You don't get a reward when they come out. He gets a reward for losing his teeth. Yeah. But I was up all night. You don't understand how bad teething is. He's like, I don't understand what you're talking about, mom. It was, it didn't even hurt. I'm like, it did then. Uh there's a, there's a line I use when I give a speech and I tell about, you know, the darkest hour before I published and an editor told me that the best thing I could do with my manuscript was throw it out. Oh my gosh. And I, you know, and I said, you know, at the time it was, uh, it was, you know, I'd never been that depressed in my life, but that was before I had teenagers. So, <laughs> so you just wait. Just, there, if you think it's bad now. <laughs> oh gosh, I know. I'm 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 readying a very small bunker where I can go hide when it gets real bad. <laughs> the closets yeah. in our home here are surprisingly large and I can hide in them. So despite being told, which is just the ghastly story, that you know your your manuscript was horrible, you were pretty sure, because I've heard you give speeches, you were very sure that this was a thing that you could and would do. If the ironic part of it is the book that she told me to throw away is the one that sold my very <laughs> first sale. Yes. That must still uh, feel good. It does still <laughs> feel good. And it, and it gives, I think, other writers hope because it's just somebody's opinion. Yep. Yes, I had a long way to go to learn to be a good writer. But I had the storytelling ability. And the editor who bought my first book, whose name was Mary Claire Susan, and she worked for Silhouette Books at Simon & Schuster at the time, she saw that potential. She saw the storytelling ability in me, and she knew the writing would come along. Now, I rewrote that book for her and the next one too. But I had written four books all the way through and each one of those books sold because they were good stories. And every now and then I'll pick up a book where the writing just irritates me, but the story's good and I don't care. I will read the book because the story is what's compelling. The same is true for me. And, and it's funny that you say it's just one person's opinion. I give a lot of workshops about reviews and mostly to author groups, and I always say no one, one, no one person can make or break a book. It, 
I am a, a single opinion, and I promise you that for every person who reads a review that of a book that I did not enjoy, there is a person going, this is everything I like, and I want it right now. I need it right this minute. Get out of my way. So <laughs> you you have to both value your – you have to value what, what you learn about yourself from other people, but you also – you also have to believe in your own determination too. Yes. And I guess it's, you know, people's, uh, you know, say they admire me for sticking with it. The fact is I'm a stubborn person. I don't give up easily. <laughs> what, um, what are some of the things that readers share with you and tell you about your books? One of the things that I love, love, love about the romance genre is I see it as our literary inheritance because so often we inherit it or learn about it or sneak the books from another woman that we know in our families or a babysitter. Um, either you're given the book or you take the book and you're not supposed to have it, but that's how most of us discover the romance genre. Um, what are some of the things that readers share with you about, about your books and the, the, the way in which they interact with your books? Well, I do a whole series of, of uh, letters that I have received over the years that you know, they, they mean to compliment me. Like, oh, uh, you're my favorite writer. You put me to sleep every night. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, I will, will buy anything that has your name on it. So thank you, Betty, for writing such great books. <laughs> so, and you can, you know, you can tell certain people's personality just from their letters. Uh, just recently, I got a letter from a, a woman who said, I have read 12 of your books and I've liked every one of them, dot, 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 so far. Oh, no. Well, I mean, Google says you've written at least seven, so she's she's got a little ways to go. <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're, um, the, the readers are vocal, and, and I love reading the mail, and I encourage the readers to write me because what they say is important to me. Um, they're my bread and butter, and uh, I love hearing from them, and I've made it very easy to get in touch with me in a number of different social medias and by snail mail. So uh, that that's a big part of my career, and it's it's. A, First thing I do every morning is read every single guest book entry and every single letter that comes into the office. Wow, a guest book. I haven't seen one of those online in a very long time. Yeah, it's surprising how many people will, will send me messages through the guest book and Facebook too. There's a lot more ways to get in touch with, with you at this point. Do you still get more snail mail, more postal mail, or do you get more online comments and, and letters? Oh, by far online, by yes. far. But I still get probably, I don't know, maybe between 20 to 50 letters a week. Wow. So your yeah. mailman is a frequent visitor. Yeah. Oh, we have a box, so they, that's where they go. <laughs> do you have, a, do you ever notice any recurring themes in what the, what the letters say? I know you've said that you're right, you're, you're, the letters that your readers write you have inspired you to write different things and to add on to books. But do you notice that there are common themes in what they say when they write to you? Uh, yes, definitely. And, and that was why I started the series, uh, the Cedar Cove series. I had done a number of short series, six books here, six books there, Alaska, Texas, mm -hmm. North Dakota. And the readers were saying to me, 
oh, can you go back? Can you tell us about so-and-so? And, um, but when you're done with a series, you know, you're done. It's like dating an old boyfriend. You're kind of done with that. And, <laughs> and it's hard for an author to go back. So I decided to do the Cedar Cove series. And when I had done the other books, I had plotted all six books all the way through before I wrote word one. But with the Cedar Cove series, I just decided to tell the stories until there weren't any more to tell. So it was actually the readers that influenced that. Um, many of the things that I have done in my career uh, have been like the first time uh, an author has done this. Like uh, I think I was the first one ever to write an angel book. I was the first one ever to put my address in a book. I was the first one to do a lengthy, lengthy series. Well, other than mystery and uh, science fiction. Um, and that all came from the readers. And the cookbooks are a result of the readers, too. Uh, every time I mentioned a recipe in Cedar Cove, like uh, Terry Polgar's macaroni and cheese or uh, Peggy Belden's blueberry muffins, the office would just get inundated with mail. Well, could you, do you have a recipe for that? <laughs> so, we, you know, that's how, the, that's how the cookbooks came about. And I've just been contracted for another one. I mean, the cookbooks are very popular. Not only... Am I a writer? I am a frequent eater <laughs> and I love to cook and I love to eat. So, and many, many of my readers do too. And that's one of the things that I found that if you share a recipe, your readers are right there. Oh, I mean, absolutely. they love that. I think you probably belong on the list of authors not to read while hungry. <laughs> like we have a, a tag that we use for reviews on the site. Do not read this book while you're hungry. We are warning you right now. It's a bad idea. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so can I ask you about your, your newest book, If Not For You? Um, oh, definitely. So the cover is making me so happy because it is so pretty and there's so it's many flower trees. It's a beautiful cover. I'm Yeah, it's one of my, my favorite covers. I've been doing uh, the book. There's a new beginning series and it's the first book was called Last One Home, and it's a story about reconciliation, sisters reconciling. And then The Girl's Guide to Moving On was about forgiveness. And If Not For You is a healing book, and it's about a woman who's in a terrible, terrible car accident. And uh, the, the hero is there at the accident site, and he's holding her hand until the, the ambulance comes. And you know, uh, talking to her and she really, she just gloms onto him. And as she's healing physically, he's healing emotionally. So the theme of the book is healing. And it's about two people who come from very different parts of life. He's a mechanic. She's a musician and she's cultured and he's kind of gruff. And so the opposites attract. And there's that whole aspect of, of healing, the theme of healing. Was there a particular story or character that inspired this? Do you start with the plot or do you start with the characters? I generally start with the characters, or, or sorry, the plot premise. And when it comes to plotting books, because I'm a storyteller, I had to come up early in my career with a way of deciding what stories to develop. So I chose words. If I could make the story provocative, I want my readers to think, if it's relevant to their lives, if I can tell the story in the most creative way, if it's realistic and if it's entertaining, and if I can get the, the plot premise around those words, then I know I'm going to have a really good idea. And so I start with the plot premise, and then I create the characters to go with it. Like when I started with the Blossom Street series, it was 
somebody who was starting a yarn store, opening up a yarn store, who would do that? Why would they do it? What is their motivation? And uh, it came up with somebody that was a cancer survivor who had decided she was going to live her life without cancer. She wasn't going to think about cancer. She was going to follow her dreams no matter what. So you start with a premise or a theme and then build right. around the theme. Correct. That's very interesting. Now, you, until recently, you also had a yarn store. Is that right? Yes, I did. Well, I'm an, an avid, avid knitter. This when I, I was Yes. <laughs> when the, when the, uh, I was growing up and struggling so hard in school and failing no matter how hard I tried, um, it was knitting that saved me. Um, my grandmother was a crocheter, and I don't have any memories of her, but my older cousins tell me about you know, how, how she loved to crochet. And I have some of her things that she crocheted. And, um, and I apparently inherited that gene and I wanted to learn how to knit. And my mother took me to the yarn store. And because of that knitting, I, you know, I had to study the pattern. So I learned comprehension skills. Um, I had to carefully read the words so that I knew what to do. I had to do math and it gave me such a, a a keen sense of accomplishment, which I so badly needed, and self-esteem that was so lacking in those early years of school. And also knitting patterns are a type of code. And I, and I think that um, there's a wonderful, there's a, a, a wonderful but kind of scary and a little too violent for me television series from the BBC called Bletchley Circle. Um, and it was about a bunch of women who were code breakers. And when the war is over... And they're home and they're bored because they're not breaking code because there's no war. Um, one of them starts knitting because it is the closest she can come to code breaking. Oh. But it, it I've makes, never thought of it like that, but yeah. And it's it's like another language because if you read a if you read a knitting pattern, it's like K two, P six, Y O, and I'm like, What? What just <laughs> happened? Who did the what and then I need like nine YouTube videos to figure it out. Do you uh, do you miss your yarn store now that it's closed? Well, I have enough yarn in my yarn room for to open my own yarn store right there. So it's it's one thing about uh, about knitters. We are avid hoarders of of yarn. I look, I stand in the middle of that room. I have a whole room that's dedicated to yarn and my knitting projects. And uh, I stand in the middle of the room, and, and I, I should feel guilty. But then I'm just reminded, there's knitting in heaven. I can bring it. I mean, I won't bring that yarn, but uh, there will be yarn there, so I don't need to worry. <laughs> I think there's a – isn't there a knitting acronym, uh, Sable, uh, Stash Acquired Beyond Life Expectancy? Yes, I think so. <laughs> One of my yes. uh, one of my writers uh, for the site is an, a very avid knitter, and she does knitting patterns um, based on what she's reading or watching. And she was watching Outlander, and she was like, I really just needed to pause and look at the knitting like 10 different times because the knitting just stops Elise in her track. She's got to check it out. Um, do you do you find that knitting and writing romance go together in different ways? Yeah, oh, definitely. Because what I'll do is at the end of the day, I, I just kind of pick up my knitting needles and my pr current project and, and decompress. And I, I'll often think of, of you know, where I'm uh, going in the story as I'm knitting. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I think there's a real connection with me with the yarn and, you know, the, the yarn itself and the yarn, the story. Oh, that's brilliant. 
that yes, that makes a lot of sense. I often because uh, I mostly write nonfiction on the site. I'm writing reviews or commentary or longer nonfiction prose. But I cross-stitch, and I notice that I have a lot more ideas and things make sense linearly once I'm cross-stitching a bunch of X's right in a row for, you know, a good 10, 15 minutes. I think it sort of resets your brain in a way. I, I think that, you know, there's a uh, um, routine to it or, a, you know, if you if you, you continually do the same action, your your mind is free. Then, yes. you know, you just kind of by rote will, uh, you know, you know, toss the yarn and, and do the stitch. And I think that it kind of frees your mind because it's kind of divided. You're kind of paying attention. But at the same time, your mind is saying, oh, well, what if they did this in the story? Oh, that's a good idea. You know? Yep. It frees up what I call the easily distracted part of my brain. Uh -huh. Like I, I think of part of my brain as a Jack Russell Terrier. What's that? What's that? What's this? What's going on? What? 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 what, what? So the Jack Russell Terrier part of my brain calms down, and the more you know, the more sleepy old bloodhound part of my brain can go. Oh, I have an idea. Let's do this. Of course, now that why I'm at why there's dogs in my brain, I don't know. And I realize someone's listening to this some, at some point is going to be like, "Wow, ooh, dogs in your brain. You're weird." <laughs> One thing that I always ask um, the people I interview is what they're reading. But I also want to ask you what you're knitting right now. And if you would um, talk a little bit about Knit One Bless Two. Oh, okay. Well, actually, I'm knitting an afghan right now for my grandson and, and a variety of blue colors. Ooh. And uh, uh, Knit One uh, Bless Two is a um, part of uh, World Vision's uh, idea to, to give children a sweater or a blanket or something that will personally knit for them by somebody who is praying and thinking about them. It's it's a lot more than just giving them a purchase blanket. When we hand out these blankets, and I have been to Kenya to do this personally, you would not believe the smiles that come on their faces when they put on that sweater. And, you know, I tell them, you know, somebody thought about you when they were knitting this. And so it's, a, it's just one way to extend love to somebody who may feel alone. And it is another way it warms their heart and it warms their bodies at the same time. And what am I reading? I just discovered I've been doing a lot of reading online uh, ebooks, the just ebook only authors. And I, I just discovered a, a writer, her initials are J something, and it's Dark, D-A-R Hauer, Dar Hauer. She's very good. Um, I'm, I'm almost thinking that she's, this is a pseudonym. I haven't looked her up. But because she is such an excellent writer and a very good storyteller. Her stories are a little dark, and, but the heroes are very appealing to me. They're very alpha males. So um, she's one, and there's another author whose last name is Archer, and again, it's initials, and I don't remember the initials, and I, I just finished a five-book series by her. It was an assassin series set in the uh, 1500s. Excellent, mm. excellent author. Yeah. So you, so I, uh, you like alpha males. I do, and I, I love uh, finding authors that um, – that I, you know, I think are, are uh, young, well, I say this young in book years, that uh, show such incredible promise. And I, I generally will send them a note and just say, you know, you are an excellent writer. Keep it up. You know, you have a career. 
and, and you should have, just don't get discouraged that it takes long to build. Because it is 20 years. It took me 20 years to make the New York Times list. So, you know, it just takes time. You have to be patient with yourself. Especially when you're writing in a genre that is so often put down and the women who read it and write it are so often put down, that can make it more difficult to persevere. Yes, definitely. You're, you know, you write romance novels. Oh, you write those yeah. books. Yeah. yeah, and I'm proud of it, let me tell you, because <laughs> I'll tell you what, those romance books have got her. If you could read the letters I get from people who say that, how important these books are to them, you know, that this is what gets them through life is, you know, this is, these are not throwaway books or they just aren't, you know, these are stories that stay and touch hearts and give hope and inspiration and encouragement. And women need that. Oh yes, absolutely. Especially when you feel like you have to carry so much responsibility and you have so much that you have to do. And a lot of it isn't pleasant. Whenever I've met um, people and I, you know, you, you end up in a situation where you talk to somebody and you end up asking, well, what do you do? Um, whenever I meet someone who is a, a nurse or work in hosp works in a hospice or works in a, in a field that's very emotionally draining, I almost always find out that they also read romance. And then yes. we have like six hours worth of conversation to have. <laughs> But romance is found, romance novels specifically, I think, are found in tremendously dark and difficult places for people. Yes. And I think that's what they turn to because like like me as a, as a young housewife and mom, I needed a happy ending. We needed to know there's hope in this world. Yes. <laughs> that we're all doing this for a really good reason. Yes. <laughs> Even if it's three in the morning and it's dark and it's gold. Yes. So what are you working on next? What book are you working on now? I just finished a synopsis for a book that I've titled A Cottage by the Sea. And it's very different than things that I have written before. And in, in the fact that the hero uh, rarely speaks, he can speak, he isn't deaf or mute, but um, he can speak, but he rarely does. And the heroine has suffered a tremendous loss and has gone to um, the one happy place she had as a child, and that's by the sea. And she's a physician's assistant. And so she meets the people in the community at their lowest point when they're hurt. And um, the hero is somebody who senses pain in others. And he, he brings her a blind dog because she um, needs somebody and the dog needs her. Dogs in books are like my new favorite thing. And dogs on covers, my gosh. I know. They, they, they sell. They sell. It's not a cat. It's a dog that sells on the cover of a book. Right? It's incredible. It's just, it's, I, I know that for, um, I think it was Kristen Higgins' book, someone forwarded me a casting call to do the, the cover model for a dog for the cover. And I was like, that's just brilliant. I would like to volunteer my dog who does not fit the description, but that's just, seriously, dogs on covers? Absolutely. Yeah. We have our bogey. We've always had dogs. So I'm a dog girl. I have two dogs and two cats and two boys. So my house is generally hairy, loud, and a little sticky, depending on what we're <laughs> snacking on. And that is all for this week's interview with Debbie Maycomer. I want to thank her for hanging out with me. I've had such a good time doing that interview. I will have links in the podcast entry at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. 
to her website and her most recent books, the titles that we discussed, and some of the links to things we talked about as well. And if you are listening right now, you're awesome. Thank you for listening. There are two things that you can do to help support the show and help other people find it. One is if you use a podcast distribution or um, I believe they're called aggregator like iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher wherever you acquire your fine podcasts if you leave a review for this podcast it means that this podcast will flirt shamelessly with their algorithm um, and I don't actually know how the podcast will behave but I presume it will behave with decorum or some form of unprofessional decorum because that's kind of how I operate either way the podcast will flirt meaningfully with the algorithm at whatever site or aggregator you use and that helps it move up into more visible spaces where people can discover our fine fine discussions of romance fiction and the things that are adjacent to it which is like you know pretty much everything that's interesting and if you would like to support this show in particular you can go to patreon.com slash smartbitches. The people who have supported the show have helped me do amazing things, including setting up the acquisition of transcripts for older episodes and really nifty equipment so I can record a live show. And if that goes well, I can do another live show and I can just wander around with these really cool microphones that I won't let my kids play with. So if you go to patreon.com slash smartbitches and support the show for as little as $1 a month, you make an enormous, enormous difference in helping keep this show a weekly collection of semi-professional cat mayhem. Now, I don't have any compliments this week. Well, actually, no, I do. I do have a compliment. Are you ready? Garlic Knitter, you're transcribing this episode. Thank you for doing that. I have heard from many people how much they appreciate the transcript, so thank you for doing what you do. You help make the internet a better place. The music you are listening to is from Caravan Palace. This is their double album, Caravan Palace and Panic, which you can find online. This track is called Gramophone. And one last thing. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Kodak, who is Sassy Outwater's retired guide dog. He had to be put to sleep last week, which is awful and so hard if you've ever loved an animal, especially an animal who is your eyes for, like, you know, the whole world. So to, from all of us, Sassy, we are so sorry. And to Kodak... Good job, buddy. Well done. Thank you again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful weekend with the best of reading, and we'll see you next week.